it's not just to say like, oh, we're doing the right thing because we have a certain number of First Nations people involved. It's to learn and have the knowledge of the First Nations people involved in our sport because we'll be better for it. It's because it will enrich our sport. That's Andrew Ference, longtime National Hockey League player and the league's director of social impact and growth. He's our guest today on the Akamema podcast. Tanse, Tuau, and welcome to the Akamema podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. So on this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today we're talking hockey and First Nations people. Now, First Nations people have a long history in hockey, back to the origins of the game. And just recently, we lost two of the very first First Nations players to play in the National Hockey League. George Armstrong, the longest-serving Toronto Maple Leafs captain, and Fred Sasakamus of the Chicago Blackhawks. And now, First Nations players continue to have a big presence in pro hockey with Carey Price playing for the Montreal Canadiens, Zach Whitecloud, Vegas Golden Knights, Ethan Bear, Edmonton Oilers, TJ Oshie of the Washington Capitals, among others. I've always said it would be great to grow those numbers by increasing access to the game for First Nations youth. And as we've heard on this podcast from Sheldon Kennedy and Reggie Leach, Hockey and sports are a big part of building confidence in youth and maintaining mental health and physical health. So to learn more about what the National Hockey League is working on to bring hockey to First Nations communities, we are joined by Andrew Ferentz. Before becoming the NHL's Director of Social Impact Growth and Legislative Affairs, Ferentz played for 18 years in the National Hockey League, including being the captain of his hometown Edmonton Oilers. His career was notable for what he achieved off the ice as well as on, including being an outspoken advocate for the environment. So, Andrew Ferentz, a great big welcome to our Akamema podcast. Well, it's a real honor to be here, National Chief. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So, Andrew, Canada is made up of many different kinds of peoples from coast to coast to coast, and hockey is Canada's national sport. It brings together everybody. And I've said before... That if you want to end racism and discrimination in Canada, wouldn't it be great to have young First Nations girls and boys in every dressing room across Canada at every level, you know, right in every province and territory, right on up to the NHL? So what do you think about that statement? And what is the National Hockey League working on or strategizing on, thinking about, to make that a possibility? What are your thoughts? Well, I couldn't agree more. Sports is a vehicle for so many great things, you know, whether it's uh, teamwork, confidence, you know, learning how to persevere through tough times. I mean, it's a vehicle that we that we use for for many positive things in our society. Uh, and, and so I think that, you know, using sport as a vehicle to make sure that we're all together and we're all doing something that we love together, uh, regardless of our background, regardless of our family, um, it's, it's an absolutely perfect vehicle for that. Sometimes I think when we see racist incidents or, or things that happen in our sport, that's why it hurts even more is because we have such high hopes for sports to bring us together and do such positive things for us and for our children's lives. And so when you talk about making sure that there's representation for First Nations kids in every locker room in hockey, I couldn't agree more. It's a 100% uh, true. So the NHL has long been, you know, very proud of, of, you know, bringing people together, especially north of the border here in Canada. But I think that we're also, 
very cognizant of the fact that we're underrepresented in many groups, including First Nations kids. You know, we know that we need to bring more uh, females into the game. We need we need to bring more uh, First Nations kids into the game. And uh, with that, we have to step back and say, you know, what you know, what's keeping uh, these underrepresented communities away from our sport in the first place? And how do we work with our partners at Hockey Canada, USA Hockey down south of the border to make sure that these kids are included? And so, you know, there's many barriers, you know, whether it be cost, infrastructure, um, you know, negative experiences at the rink, you know, there's many things to tackle. And I think that we've, you know, at the NHL, at least, kind of been, you know, really tackling this head on over the mm -hmm. last couple of years. Um, I joined the NHL after I, I finished playing hockey. Uh, and my boss is Kim Davis, who came over from, uh, you know, corporate America. She was JP Morgan Chase for many years uh, on their corporate uh, responsibility team. And, and she brings a kind of a new vision to mm -hmm. the NHL, which uh, is frankly uh, long overdue. And so, you know, we have about a team of 20 of us uh, under her uh, in our department. And our number one focus is growing the game amongst everybody so that we bring those underrepresented groups that we first have to find out who's playing our game. We don't even know that, mm -hmm. uh, National Chief. We have, to, we have to actually understand who's playing because we don't have, you know, all the detailed demographics uh, of our sport. But we know that, uh, that there's a lot of work to be done in tackling many things uh, uh, that are keeping certain groups away from our game. So you've got about 20 staffers now. So are you, are you currently working on any specific programs, policies, strategic plans to do that? Uh, you mentioned getting more females into the, the sport and getting more First Nations into the game. You talked about doing a database or inventory. Who's playing? Where are they from? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important to know who's playing and why they're not playing, especially. Uh, USA Hockey has actually done a good job that we've we've looked at, especially when they bring somebody to the game and, and they fail to retain that child. They actually reach out and ask why. You know, why, you know, why didn't you come back? It was an mm -hmm. experience cost. And so uh, that's a great insight into some of the barriers. Uh, and, and we obviously make some assumptions north of the border uh, based on some of the data like that. But some of the real programs that have been successful over the last years has been some partnerships that we've, uh, we've enter entered into. Uh, around the females game, um, Haley Wickenheiser, who's actually a really good friend of mine, uh, runs a, an amazing tournament called Wickfest, and she's run mm -hmm. that across the country uh, for many years. And so we've we've been trying to learn a lot from her. Uh, she she's doing it better than I think anybody else in the sport of hockey. Uh, uh, guys, girls, anybody. She she brings people into a fe festival atmosphere, uh, so that fun is the number one priority, and socialization and learning other things other than hockey. Uh, in a tournament atmosphere. And so she's absolutely brilliant. And so uh, the NHL has helped support Wickfest for the last couple of years. And, and uh, we'd love to expand programs like that, not only for, for the female game, but also to take those learnings into the male tournaments as well, because she's doing it so much better than most of the tournaments that we see. Uh, at the end of the day, we think that when pe people come to the rink and play hockey or, or go to a tournament like Wickfest, the most important thing isn't, you know, really the medal or something like that, or, you know, where you finished in the tournament or, you know, how many goals your team scored. It's all about mm -hmm. the experience, right? And so the way that she's gone about it and the way that we're trying to learn from and, and pass on some of that knowledge to other people in the, in the sport is she attacks that experience. You know, what did it feel like to come to a tournament like she hosts? You know, there's a big welcome party, there's music, there's snacks, you meet new friends, you bring people from all different parts of the country She's very deliberate about bringing in underrepresented groups to her tournaments as well. So there's a huge social uh, aspect to the tournament. Uh, outside of the hockey games, she has some, some courses that people can take as far as like 
learn how to wrestle, you know, with, uh, you know, some of the Canadian Olympic wrestlers or learn how to do karate. Like I said, you know, learning from people like, like her about how to do mm-hmm. hockey better, I think is a great step. Uh, as yeah. far as like a, attracting uh, kids, in a, you know, from one of the barriers, obvious barriers is cost. We've also worked uh, with Bauer over the last couple of years in their first shift program. And so that's both sides of the border. We've, uh, but especially in Canada with Bauer is, is a big program where kids can try hockey and for $199, they can uh, get full Bauer equipment head to toe. They get six weeks of trying the sport of hockey from, you know, really good instructors. We use a lot mm-hmm. of our alumni to run those programs and, you know, the kids can come try our sport and some of the, you know, more strong, uh, organizations like the Oilers here in, the, in Edmonton, they have a, a, a series of programs that can follow up that introduction. And so mm-hmm. from first shift, then you can move to second shift and you still like hockey. And then now they can uh, start to try to pair you up with a minor hockey association, uh, you know, where you're from. So the introduction to the game is 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 affordable and, and accessible for most people. And, and even if that's still a barrier, you have great partnerships with people like Canadian Tire and their Jumpstart program. Uh, mm-hmm. which has uh, obviously helped, you know, many, many kids uh, across the country. The bigger platform that, you know, we're really looking at to help engage even more people is something that I've been working on, you know, personally, you know, really hard for the last couple of years. And that's a proper street and ball hockey program uh, that we'd love to roll out because, you know, I don't know about your childhood, but I probably played more time in the street and uh, ball hockey than I did on the ice. And I know that the friendships and, like I said, the experience I've had of, of playing that, uh, that version of the, our sport was pretty fantastic. So I think to do ball and street hockey the right way and, and properly, we can wrap our arms around even more people in this country because you remove so many of those uh, existing barriers in ice hockey. Now, I'm glad you mentioned dealing with some of the barriers, which is cost. So you got some good handles on that, good thought strategies and expanding to street and ball hockey. And and even for uh, young First Nations girls, I, I want to give a shout out as well to somebody from back home in Saskatchewan, from my home territory, that's played hockey at a very, very senior level. And she's a female, Bridget Laquette from Cody First Nation. She played on women's Olympic hockey team for Canada. She's another role model. I mentioned uh, a lot of the guys that have made it to the NHL, First Nations men, but Bridget Laquette is also a great big role model for us back home, making it all the way to the Canadian women's Olympic hockey team. So that's, uh, I wanted to make sure I got that in as well, um, both male and female. Now, these points about getting young First Nations players into all the dressing rooms and uh, across Canada, you know, but we see with everything from Black Lives Matter and both against the people of color and Indigenous people, like racism, discrimination is still pretty rampant, even in Canada. I, I've seen it in the healthcare system and the justice system and child welfare. It's like, there's just no question it's there. What can be done to make sure that these young First Nations people uh, that are entering into that wonderful world of hockey or sports uh, can have a good positive experience in the dressing rooms. Uh, well, I mean, I, I completely agree. It, it actually makes me sick to my stomach. I, I even see it on, well, obviously social media can be a cesspool for that stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, some of the people that I follow, there's a really uh, good entrepreneur out here and he has a company smudge the blades and it's a hockey company. He's making apparel and I know even just the other day on his on his social media, you, you know, you have people openly, you know, having racist comments on his page. You obviously see it every single day, you know, like you said, in the different areas of our society. And we know that it happens in our uh, arenas and in our dressing rooms. And it's it, it's it's absolutely disgusting, you know. And I think that from an NHL and our partners' point of view, we have to 
absolutely stamp it out, you know, anytime it happens. I know, you know, in an NHL game, there's, you know, zero tolerance for that kind of crap, whether it's coming from our players, whether it's from our fans, you're gone, right? Like, I think that it has to be zero tolerance from that. I think that, you know, we have calls, you know, when we see something like uh, we've seen a few times in, in youth hockey tournaments where incidents come up and, and they're reported on the news. And we talk about those amongst us at work and, and we say, you know, what can we do? And, you know, well, we could have conversations with our, our partners at Hockey Canada and USA Hockey, and we have to do more to make sure that there's zero tolerance and that the people that are, are, are doing these things are, are out of our game because they make our game weaker. You know, mm-hmm. they, they weaken the whole sport for all of us. And uh, it, it's not that every single person that's going into a, you know, a hockey rink is doing these things. It's these few people that are, are causing pain for everybody, you know, and they're, they're, they're making, a, like I said, our sport weaker. And so we have to stamp that out because um, there's absolutely no place for it. But I think it's, it's, it's one thing to, to talk about how bad it is and to have zero tolerance and kick people out of rinks, but it's a bigger issue. You know, you have to make sure that the representation of Indigenous people on board of executives like Hockey Canada so that people can speak, you know, directly to how to attack these issues. And not only that, but like the experience of the kids in the locker room, it's one thing to have the experience of, you know, outright uh, blatant racism. But what about just, you know, the inappropriateness of maybe how a coach is addressing, you know, a room, you know, or talking to talking to his team. And he doesn't even know he's doing something that, you know, might be offensive or, or wrong, but he's never been taught, right? He's never learned because there's nothing in the curriculum that has a meaningful contribution from, from somebody with that background. So I think mm-hmm. representation in the boardrooms on the executive level with contributions to the coaching curriculum that goes out across the country that's teaching our kids about the game, you know, those fundamental things. If you're not having contributions from all parts of our society, especially from First Nations, you know, what do you expect? It's no different than, you know, the reason why we first reached out to the Assembly of First Nations, you know, regarding some of the things that we're working on, because we don't have all the answers. We need your knowledge. We need your input you know, from the perspective of First Nations, it's not, uh, you know, from the perspective of a boardroom in, in New York, uh, New York City, right? That's not going to work. Yeah. So I think okay. it starts there is, is, is asking for help and reaching out mm-hmm. for knowledge and making sure there's repre- representation at, at the decision making level to actually have a chance to get it right in the first place. Yeah, no, that's a good, good comments, Andrew. And uh, I've always said education awareness leads to understanding and should lead to action even in the coaching curriculum to deal with racism and discrimination, changing that, getting more people, First Nations people on boards and decision-making tables. And uh, as National Chief, I've always advocated for that. I'm really um, pleased to hear, Andrew, that there's some things going on within the NHL to make that happen. I want to um, go now to this whole idea of uh, systemic racism and how you define that. But And I use this as an example in the, in the light that uh, – one of my heroes growing up and watching hockey Saturday night, only one channel you get on the, out on the res, right? So you always watch Hockey Night in Canada. And uh, I remember watching uh, one of my heroes, Reggie Leach, you know, another First Nations player, the Riverton Rifle, Stanley Cup MVP. And I always thought he's one of the purest, pure goal scorers in the 70s for the Philadelphia Flyers, right? He was awarded the Order of Canada for his work with young people in First Nations communities. But yet, year after year after year, he hasn't been ever selected for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I was kind of questioned, why not? I think, well, in my mind, he's deserving, but I don't make the decision, right? But looking at the selection committee, it's 17 non-Indigenous men. And, and Cassie Campbell representing the women, so that's 18. 
I take your point about getting more people on boards and decision-making tables, you know, and I'm referring to more and more First Nations people. What are your thoughts on that? What are your, like, like I just use Reggie Leach as an example, you know, and if I could, I would love to get First Nations people on that Hockey Hall of Fame decision-making thing because I think there's a lot of First Nations players uh, that have made huge contributions but have yet to be selected. What are your thoughts? Well, specifically to induction, I can't. I, I have no idea what the <laughs> what the criteria is and how they how that selection works. Um, I know that I would definitely have a probably a different list than some of the people uh, on, on the board there as well. But I think it does go back to what we just finished talking about. You know, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I, look, if everybody in the room is is from the same background and has the same experiences and has the same kind of you know perspective, I mean you're just working in a vacuum, right? And, and, and I'm sure that they're, it's not saying that everybody on that committee is the exact same, but, you know, I've been in enough hockey locker rooms where it, it's, it's kind of bland and it, it's, it's not always naturally bland either. I'll, I'll give you a bit of an example. You know, mm-hmm. when people ask me, you know, the best team I ever played on, you know, which, which mm-hmm. team was it? And for me, it was our team in, well, there's two teams. Uh, the first one, obviously, being in Boston, you know, where we won the cup, but it was over many years. You know, it wasn't just the year that we won the cup. Uh, there yeah. was probably about a four or five year uh, window there where that was just an amazing team. And then there was also a team in Calgary, and we went to the cup finals. We actually lost to Tampa Bay, but Jerome McGinley was our, our captain. Yeah. And both of those teams had something in common everybody could come to the rink and show up and be their true self, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, they, they, if you're a weird guy and you liked, uh, you know, <laughs> things that were like, uh, you know, you liked horse racing. Great. You love horse racing. You love the environment. Okay. Ferentz, you know, you go hug some trees and, you know, you go do your thing over there with the environment. Great. Uh, you know, Chara, you love, you know, lifting weights all day, you know, but like there was a diversity of ideas and of interests mm-hmm. and of people and personalities, and it was fully accepted and embraced. And, and to me at that time, that's that wasn't normal. You know, there was a lot of dressing rooms where you had to come in, you had to dress a certain way, you had to pretend to like golf, you had to, you know, do whatever it is that you thought that hockey players do, right? And you're mm-hmm. trying to be something that you probably naturally weren't. And, and so you weren't being your true self, right? And so you kind of tried yeah. to fit this mold of what you thought a hockey player was and how you should think and how you should talk yeah. and what you should be interested in. I never found those to be the most productive work environments. And and to my point, the best teams I ever played on had the most inclusive attitude as far as like you be whoever you want. As long as you mm-hmm. show up for the game and you play as hard as you, you can and you give an honest effort to, to our team, we don't care what you what you like, you know, what you're into, what your interests are, you know, you you do whatever you whatever you want. But I found when people showed up to that kind of environment, man, it was a huge difference. And just mm-hmm. the the, the feeling you get walking into the room like that. So I think that's, that to me, that's one of the issues I think that happens in many places in life is that, you know, people come into a room and they think they have to be something and they, they try mm. to act a certain way and they try to fit in and they try to be like everybody else. You know, I think it's a natural human thing, right? Instead of embracing the thing that makes them different and their, their, their opinion that stands out from the crowd and, the, and pushing back maybe against somebody else's opinion, right? You know, when you can get diverse backgrounds and diverse, strong people in a room, you're going to get good dialogue and you're going to get oh, yeah. interesting outcomes because there's differences of opinion and there's good yeah. conversation and, and hearty conversation about these kinds of things. Right. So, 
Yeah. To me, that's the value of bringing different people into a room is, you know, not just all agreeing on things. Yes. You know, you can have a conversation, you know, and, 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 and talk about things and have disagreements and you can come to a conclusion, but man, there should be some meat to it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I no, think, I, uh, you know, God I, forbid we miss that. <laughs> no, I, uh, I still play hockey. People call it old timers. I call it senior, senior pro. But dialogue in the dressing room can be pretty uh, interesting and heated at times, being the only First Nations player in the room. But it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of good dialogue there. But, but what I'm hearing you say is those two teams stuck out for you because of their, their atmosphere and their culture of acceptance, no matter what you, who you are, what you bring to the team locker room. And as long as you uh, work your hardest out on the ice. So that, that seems to be a strong message. Yeah, you know what? And, I, and, and that gives me, I think, I'm actually very optimistic about the direction that that's going. And I honestly, you know, the younger generations do it so much better than, than our generations. You know, mm-hmm. I think the, the embracing of, you know, your, you know, one's uniqueness and, and who you are, you see it. You know, I see it on my, my daughter's TikTok, you know, when she's doing dances yeah. or I see it, you know, on the people that I follow on, you know, social media, the embrace of, 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 of your background, of your culture, you know, like I follow, you know, a lot of First Nations people on, on Instagram and to mm-hmm. see the pride, you know, behind, you know, their culture and, and uh, artwork and dance and, um, and culture and what sets them apart from you know, everybody else. And I think that, you know, whether it's First Nations or, you know, any cultural background, I think there is a move towards embracing the uniqueness of, of, of your background and, and yeah. showing everybody proudly, you know, what it is, right? So uh, locker rooms are changing. I think that even little things that I notice about like how guys are dressing, you know, when they walk into a rink, you know, you see a lot better style and, you know, different styles of guys walking to the rink now and, and guys embracing, um, you know, stuff that's just, you know, different. You know, if you look back, uh, you know, even when I started playing and uh, my first year was 1999, man, mm-hmm. like everybody, yeah, you just, you, everybody dresses the same. Everybody talks the same. Everybody looks the same. I see a lot more the embrace of the individual in, in today's game. I guess that might bring some some challenges along with it. And I think you hear that sometimes from some of the coaches <laughs> about, yeah, yeah. you know, the different generation. But I love it. I, I love that I, I see that the younger generations, you know, are less afraid to stand out from the crowd. And, and you know, that gives me, you know, that gives me some promise. That's awesome. Now, I mentioned earlier on some of the players, First Nations players that are currently uh, playing at the National Hockey League, which is, the, you know, the, the elite level, the, the top level for us. Uh, you know, Carey Price, Montreal Canadiens, Zach Whitecloud, Vegas, uh, TJ Oshie, Washington Caps, Ethan Bear. And there are others I didn't mention. Is there a plan in place uh, within the National Hockey League to look at ways of uh, getting numbers increased or not by a quota? I'm not trying to say there should be a quota, but is there anything? about getting First Nations people involved at a very senior level? Well, I, I think, you know, and there will always be probably instances where this, this might not be 100% true, but I think it is, you know, a meritocracy, you know, to, 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 to try to make it to the top level of almost any sport. You know, like, if, if you're good enough, you'll get there, right? But I think you have to go about 10 steps back and say, like, are enough people even getting their foot in the door, you know, to get into the game or to be accepted in the game at the lower levels or – by the time you get to the NHL level, there's so many, you know, layers of, you know, filtering of, you know, coaches, teams, experience, the barriers that we talked about, cost, infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, all these, all these different obstacles to even make it in the first place, you know. So, uh, 
you know, I think looking at the start of making sure that, you know, we're even getting enough uh, First Nations kids involved in the first place. Look, I know like the hockey uh, participation in, in many, you know, First Nations communities, a lot of communities are moving to, to basketball. I know like, especially up north and, and even, uh, you know, spending some time up in Haida Gwaii, basketball is number one, you know, and, and a huge sport amongst youth there. And it used to be a lot more tilted towards hockey. So that's, to me, a much more pressing issue as far as making sure that youth participation and, and just getting people to, to play hockey and to stay in hockey and to stay involved in hockey. You know, when we look at that, it's not just about like get them in the locker room and, and, and get some participation numbers. It's about creating a good experience once you're there. Because mm-hmm. for the NHL, look, our priority isn't to uh, produce more NHL players. You know, there's a system in place, you know, with, with Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, at the minor hockey level to progress, you know, skilled athletes up the ladder and, until they eventually make, you know, the, the CHL or NCAA levels. You know, those are separate from the NHL. So we don't have a direct, you know, influence on, on those levels. Those are partners of ours. And, and obviously we do a lot of work with them. But our priority isn't to produce the next NHL players. Our priority is to produce, you know, really good experiences with hockey. So whether you're coming to a game to watch the NHL, we want you to have an amazing experience. Whether you're, you know, you're trying out one of our learn to play programs or playing hockey at a youth level, we want you to have an amazing experience. Because we believe if you have a great experience, you're much more likely to be a lifelong fan. You're much more likely to play senior, senior, senior pro hockey, you know, when you're when you're later on in life and you'll continue to love the game because you had a great experience and you mm-hmm. made friends and you have, you know, recollections of your childhood of smiling and laughing and, and you know, playing street hockey and playing on the pond. And if you make it to pro, great. That's amazing. You know, but so few people will ever make it to that level. And we hope, of course, that there's better representation. You know, the more First Nations kids that are playing and having a good experience at a youth level, the more that will filter up to that professional level because they'll make it because they're good enough. But but for us, the priority is that, you know, as you're playing as a kid and as you're experiencing the game as a youth, you have to be having a good time because if you're having negative experiences, you know, whether, whether it's cost, whether it's racism, you know, whether it's, you know, hockey just eating up your entire calendar so you have, you know, no time for anything else, those are negative experiences, right? And those are things yeah. that will drive you away from the game. And for us, that's the problem, you know, is is driving, having kids and having, you know, adults driven away from the game because of negative experiences. I can tell you just from experience, I know, and I'm from Saskatchewan, and, and growing up on Little Black Bear, if it wasn't for FSIN Saskatchewan Indian Summer Games and the Saskatchewan Indian Winter Games. They are now called the Tony Cody uh, Games because he was the founder of them in 74, 75. I, I would not have left Little Black Bear. You know, and it was a whole idea of uh, track and field and fastball was the big thing. And then hockey was the big thing. You know, getting involved, it, it, it had a huge impact on my life. And so that's in one province. And uh, so there's a need to get right across in every province and territory. Uh, games organized you know sports councils organized and to keep building on that because it, uh, it had a huge impact on, on on people in saskatchewan and then we even have now the north american indigenous games in canada and then we've got the world indigenous games you know so there are structures in place and then i always throw a shout out to uh the iroquois nationals you know all iroquois uh on the lacrosse you know playing at the at a world level all those things you know, are positive 
things. I just throw that out as an example, like just to expand that it's not just hockey. It's the whole idea of participation and getting involved in sports and recreation. And it's not always uh, being at the elite level, but just to participate, you know, and having that good experience and being accepted for who you are uh, at all levels. What do you think? Well, National Chief, after I, like I, immediately after I retired, I sat on the Alberta Sport Connection. It's a funding arm for the province for all the youth sports. And so I got to look into, you know, how funding works and, you know, what, what kind of the levels there were at a governmental level, right, you know, to help support these youth programs. To me, even though I played at the highest level, sport is not about the Stanley Cup. Sport is not about Olympic medals. It's not. It's, it's just not about that. It's about health, you know, both physical and mental. It's about yep. education because kids that play sports do better in school. And it's about the justice system. Kids that play sport have a better chance of staying out of the justice system. So when we mm-hmm. look at funding from a governmental level, we are not funding for medals. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. We're not funding you know, for one person to stand on top of an Olympic podium or for me to lift a Stanley Cup. That is not the purpose of funding for sport. The purpose of funding is for those other massively important things in our society. You know, the healthcare system is reliant on people playing sports. If we have more kids playing sports, we will have less strains on our uh, health system, especially around mental health. And, and so for me, when I look at sport, that's what I'm looking at is, is what, what value does it bring to our society? And it's all about the health, education, justice system. And so mm-hmm. when you look at, at those, those contributions of sport and then you look at the, the gap in funding, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. The funding levels for sport in this country and at provincial levels have been completely stagnant, if not gone down for the last couple of decades. It's, it's absolutely crazy that we have this, this solution to a lot of our problems, you know, with, with, with poor health and, you know, obesity rates and, and preventable disease where sport can do a lot. You know, mm-hmm. and we're losing kids, you know, less kids are playing sport. Kids are drop, kids are dropping out, you know, so it's, it, it, there's a big gap where we need to have better supports for our kids and for our communities, you know, whether that's infrastructure of, of places to actually play the sports, whether it's around good programming uh, to actually support the people that are, you know, trying to coach and trying to put these programs on, making sure that kids have equipment to play, you know, all these different levels of support that, that can happen need to happen and not because you know we want more medals when mm-hmm. i was on the alberta board we measured some of our kpis were, were measured with medals how well you know how many medals did we get at the provincial games well who cares <laughs> like who cares how many medals let's ask about how many kids are playing sports you know how what is the health of our province what is the health of our first nations communities you know those are the questions that we need to be asking and saying like if the health is not good what can we do to fix it well, we know that more kids playing sports and more kids being active will help that, you know, so that's mm-hmm. where funding should come from. I, I get it. Own the podium, it, you know, stuff like that. You know, funding is based on gold medals, silver medals, you know, all this, all these different results. I get it. You know, we have to support, you know, the elite athletes and, and it's, it's amazing. I, I have so many friends that competed in the Olympics. They need more support too. It's great because it's so inspirational for, for young kids to look up to that. But we need to look at our sports system across the country in an entirely different way and not be, you know, adjusting funding levels for one sport or another based on how many medals they won. We need Mm -hmm. to be adjusting funding levels based on the health of our community. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Now, I want to go back. We talked earlier on about acceptance and uh, more and more players bring 
different ideas and focus and interests to the whole game. And then for you, Andrew, your environmental activism is something that you carry in your mind and heart. So what brought that about for you as an individual, as a human being to be, yeah, I'm a hockey player and you played at the National Hockey League level. How did that come to be and uh, what drives you in that area? I mean, I think like for most people, you know, it starts at home. And so I grew up, my parents, uh, you know, we grew up just outside of the city and, and my first chores were taking the scraps out to the compost pile and, you know, collecting bottles to, to recycle. And, you know, we, we grew up with a little bit of land, but I spent most of my time, you know, running around in the forest. Right. And so mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. You know, I moved away from home quite young when I was 16. I went down to Portland, Oregon to play uh, junior hockey. And even in a place like Oregon, I quickly realized that, you know, wow, not everybody has, has a compost pile out back and, you know, not everybody is recycling uh, their bottles, right? And, and mm -hmm. you start to kind of just look at the world around you and, and see that, you know, maybe the way I grew up was, was maybe not the norm. And I continue to do, you know, the things that I did at home and, and uh, you know, especially, you know, as Al Gore, you know, was putting out Inconvenient Truth, you know, I was kind of coming of age, you know, right around that time. And, and you start to look around and say, like, what the hell are we doing here? And, and, mm -hmm. and so at home, yeah, I recycled, I changed the light bulbs, you know, you do all the things that you can do. Uh, but the big moment for me came when I, I, I came up to Calgary and played for the Calgary Flames. And uh, I did an interview once, you know, somebody asked, like, oh, you know, if you could have dinner with any celebrity, you know, who would it be? And I, I said, well, I'd love to, you know, sit down with David Suzuki. He's a real hero of mine. You know, I watched yeah. Nature of Things growing up, and I just love, you know, who David is. And talk about strong personalities, right? He's a great, great leader. So the Suzuki Foundation actually reached out to me and said, you know what, David's going to be in Calgary in a couple of days. Like, you guys should connect. And, and, and so we did, you know, we sat down and had breakfast. And, and uh, I talked a lot about David. And, and I was so proud, right, you know, to tell him about all the things I was doing. And, and uh, you know, uh, I think I had just bought a, a Toyota Prius when they came out, right? And, and so I'm, yeah. I'm sitting down there giving David my laundry list of, of what a great guy I am. And he just looks at me and kind of is just like, well, so what? Here you are. You know, you're a hockey player in Canada. You have a microphone in front of your face every single day. And, and you have this opportunity to do something so positive, right? And, and to, to speak about such a, a, a massive issue, such an important issue, you know, you should do something. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, he really pushed me to, to get outside of, you know, the boundaries of my own house and speak about, you know, speak about these issues. You know, when a microphone is in front of my face, yeah, let's talk about these things. Let's talk about these bigger issues that are going on with the environment and climate change. And with the Suzuki Foundation, myself and a couple of players from that, that Flames team, we actually worked with the, the foundation to measure our, our carbon output for an entire season. Okay, yeah. we're flying to all these away games and, you know, we're, we're in these buses and in these hotels. Okay, David, like, can you help us? Like, how much carbon are we putting out into the environment, you know, each one of us? And then how can we offset that, right? So we worked with the foundation to do the first ever, you know, carbon offsets, you know, for an entire year of hockey. And, you know, man, kudos to my teammates for, like I said, they embraced me, man. You know, and what a, what a great environment, you know, to drag, to drag some hockey players into the Suzuki Foundation and, and offset some uh, carbon, you know, whoever thought. But, uh, but we did it, right? And, uh, yeah. and the next year, you know, the, the union kind of took hold of it and we had, you know, upwards of 500 guys that, that offset their carbon for a year. And so sports are great. You know, I think I always had a good perspective of, of the importance of sport. Look, I get yeah. it. Hockey is incredibly important. It's fun. It's, it's part of our culture. But at the end of the day, it's hockey. It's not the environment. There's bigger issues exactly. in life. And as citizens, 
you know, shame on me if I only think about hockey or only talk about hockey because on a level of importance, like it's, it's not even close, you know, as a citizen, I have much more important things to think about and the environment being one of them. So, um, you know, so I think it's, uh, like I said, I had a, I had supportive teammates. I had incredible people like, uh, like, you know, Dr. Suzuki to help me and guide me. And, you know, from that, I think it's, uh, you know, it's continued to build. It's something that I still get to work on now at the NHL level and, uh, you know, and talk about with our different arenas across the league of, you know, sustainable practices within, you know, a giant place like Rogers, you know, like Rogers place here or something like (laughs) that. Like talk about, uh, you know, uh, at a bigger scale. Right. So it's, it's a passion of mine. It's something I went to school for later in my career. It's something that, you know, I'm going to have to continue to do all I can for the rest of my life. Right. So yeah, I think on, on that one, Andrew, we're all in that one together, you know, climate change. And, uh, it's even on this podcast, we talked about hockey, we talked about racism, discrimination. Now we're talking about the environment. And uh, <laughs> that's wonderful to see because we're all in this world together. We're all living in Canada together. Nobody's going anywhere. And we all need uh, clean air to breathe. And, and we need clean water to drink to sustain life. So that's a huge issue is, is climate change. In fact, I've even said people are worried about COVID-19 and the pandemic. Well, the impacts from that will was really, it's going to be small when you compare it to climate change and the catastrophe of, of uh, not having uh a clean world to live in for our children and grandchildren and those yet unborn. So you couldn't, uh, you couldn't be more. And look, like I, I, I listen to your podcast, you know, I, I, I read a lot of books and then try to study up and, and I know like I have so much respect for, for your elders, right. And, and for indigenous teachings about the inter interconnectedness of, of our world. And, and yep. look, like hockey is connected to the environment, you know, out, whether it's, you know, at a very easy level inter you know, the, the outdoor ice that you're skating on or the ponds that aren't freezing as fast or, or what have you, but it is the air we breathe, everything, everything's interconnected. You know, the health yep. of our planet is connected to the health of hockey and the health of our, our society. Right. And, and so, you know, on so many different levels, I think that you can, you can say like, look, like I used to have people say like, what the hell are you talking about the environment for? You know, you're just go play hockey, but you know, these things are connected. Everything is connected. And, and and so we have to understand these things. And, and uh, you know, to your point earlier about making sure that we have, you know, more first nations people involved in our sport. It's not just to say like, Oh, we're doing the right thing because we have a certain number of first nations people involved. It's to learn it's to learn and have the knowledge of, of the First Nations people involved in our sport because we'll be better for it. It's mm-hmm. not just about checking a box about having a certain you know, number of people in a boardroom or a certain number of people in the Hall of Fame or on a roster. It's because it will enrich our sport. And, and, and beyond hockey, that's a bigger societal conversation that we have to have. Is It's not just about being nice to the First Nations because we've done so many wrongs in the past. It's like, no, we have to understand all the things we've been missing, you know, from mm-hmm. the from the knowledge level from 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 your elders, right? And and yeah. so I think that's been a, a huge in my life light bulb that's gone off uh, you know at I think probably a younger level than maybe some people, but um, to me it's enriched my life so much to learn about you know the systems of the environment and, and how they're all con- interconnected. And, yeah. and, and I think that I'm starting to see now more mainstream studies of saying like, oh, 
oh, look at this. Like, it's like they actually knew what they were talking about. Well, yeah, they were. I, there's, a, there's a professor at UBC, uh, Suzanne Samard, and she's amazing. I don't know if, about, if you know about Suzanne, but she's got mm-hmm. a, a project called the Mother Tree Project. And she talks about the inter- interconnectedness of the forest and of all of the, the, the fungus underneath the, the forest floor and how the trees talk to each other and how they share resources. And, and to me, you know, this is at the UBC and at the, at the Department of Forestry. And to me, stuff like that is absolutely fascinating because, yes, it's interesting. But if you look back, this is what your elders are teaching. And so I, I look at that and I look at, yeah, we're talking about hockey and we're talking about the environment. But just at a societal level, we have to look and stop and say, like, you know, we're missing out from a lot of, you know, fantastic learnings. And, you know, places like Hockey Canada and our our national sport will be stronger because we can learn from our First Nations people. It's not just about inclusion. It's about stopping, shutting up and actually listening, too. Yeah, no, we're that's a teaching. Like, we're all family. We're all connected. You know, we have a shared history, but more importantly, we have a shared future together. It's uh, we're interdependent on each other. And um, that whole view of Mother Earth and Father Sky, and we're the two-leggeds, you know, and we're, we're part of a bigger family together. So that's an important message because this last question I want to bring on is one of hope. And I always ask my guests, um, you're a very exciting uh, individual, Andrew, you know, a sports figure, um, but you balance that with the environment, um, you know, but with all the challenges going on in Canada, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, we see what's going on in the states with the races. Like, what what gives you hope? I'm going to ask you. What gives Andrew Ferris hope? Oh, you know, I think it it's it's a funny question to ask. It almost a year into COVID, and and with all the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all of the you know all of the the things happening, especially south of the border. Uh, and it, it's so easy to to look at the you know the stuff that's going wrong, but I if I step back and I look and, you know, I just finished talking about the mother, you know, mother tree project and, and different yeah. things like this. I look at uh, uh, the fact that, you know, science brought us a vaccination in, in un- incredibly record time. If you actually stop and think about, you know, the, the COVID pandemic and, and the brilliant people that were able to, to look at that and say like, and, and build a vac- vaccination, you know, in such an incredible uh, at such incredible speed, you know, to, to help, to help us. Right. If you look at the pushback against the racism, yes, there's racism, but there's a massive pushback. There's a, a lot of people saying like, no, this is not okay. This is not okay. And, and there's a lot of people calling out the, the BS that would have happened in years past and just kind of been swept under the rug, whether at a corporate level or an executive table or at a boardroom, there's people now that have the, the confidence and the courage to speak up and say like, no, like my generation will be different. You know, we're not mm-hmm. going to do things the same way as, as before. Um, the idle no more, you know, and, and standing up for the, the rights. Like there is a younger generation that's not going to put up with the BS. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that gives me hope is knowing that it might make us uncomfortable, you know, and it might make us, you know, question some of the things about, you know, things that we've said in the past or believed in the past. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of conversations or, or things that, you know, make you uncomfortable. That gives me hope that people are actually mm-hmm. willing to speak up and willing to to say their piece and willing to push back uh, against some things that we've just kind of let slide by before. And so, you know, there's brilliant people. They give me hope. 
the scientists, you know, the people that are opening up their minds to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to things that, that will help society and, and especially around the environment, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't know, it, it, it's, uh, it's tough. I, I won't lie. The last year has been tough on me, my family, I think on many of us, right? But, uh, but I think once in a while, we have to take a couple steps back and, and just look at some of the brilliance in this world as well and some of the amazing people that, um, that I really hope will be thrust into leadership positions. That's it. What a fantastic way to close off our conversation, Andrew. So thank you so much, Mr. Andrew Ferentz, for coming on the Akamemut Podcast. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemut Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations.